Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, I bet others want that too. Man, how many wanted that? Oh, I had that on me. Oh. <laughs> you know, you just reach out and grab it then. You know, when a prophetic flow comes, you say, God, that's speaking to my heart. I'm reaching out to that for me as well. I need to reach out. I need to be not passive about the things of God. We've got to be quite stretchy and reachy outy and insistent and, and have a little bit of spirit in us. Isn't that right? Now, nothing just comes to you in life. You've got to contend for things. Amen. Well, let's just open our Bible. Why don't you open your Bible with me in John chapter 5. And uh, we're just concluding our series we've been doing on who is Jesus. And this is number four. We looked at Jesus as revealed in the book of Revelation. Bible tells us uh, Jesus spoke in John 5 and he said, uh, he said, you're searching the scriptures, hoping that in them you'll find But these speak of me and you won't come to me that you'll have life. So the scriptures, one end to the other, reveal who Jesus is. And when we know who Jesus is, it changes how we relate to him. And so as we increase in the revelation of Jesus, it changes how we live our life. So we don't want to live in yesterday's revelation, we want to grow. So the questions we've been looking at, well, who is Jesus and how should I respond to him? What should I do? Because any revelation of Jesus, any new insight of him must lead to something changing in our life. And so this is what Jesus said, and we're looking, we looked in the book of Revelation and we saw Jesus revealed, uh, and we saw him revealed as the passionate bridegroom, the one, and remember these are just pictures, they're pictures to help you understand a person. And so he's portrayed as the passionate bridegroom, someone who just loves people. If you loved someone deeply, what would you do to rescue them? If you loved your child deeply, what would you do to help them if they're in a mess? You'd do all you could. And secondly, we see Jesus revealed as a king. And so as a king, he has great power. So you, if you loved someone and you had great power, would you not use your power to rescue the one you love? Okay, then now we saw, so he's revealed not just as a bridegroom who loves us and pursues us and gave his life for us, as a powerful king who has power to heal and deliver and transform our lives, but we see also he is a righteous judge. This is an aspect of Jesus people don't like or don't feel comfortable with. But that means, because, often it's because we don't understand. When we think of judge, we think of being punished. For many people, the only thing they think of judge, I think when they appeared in court because they had a fine of some kind and it was a horrible experience and they got punished. That's what we tend to think. Judge, we tend to think of punish. And yet there's far more to it than that. So let me just rephrase it again. If you really loved someone passionately and had all power available to help them and you saw them in a place of great injustice, would you not step in and make it right? And so when it says that Jesus is the judge, he's the one who steps in with all power to make things right, to fix it up. And so as we're looking at that, we're going to help you understand a little bit about what God is like. And I want to particularly apply it because revelation without anything to apply in our life, uh, it doesn't do us any good at all. It's just a lot of knowledge. So let's have a look in Psalm 89. Here's the thing I want you to get the first grip on, is that God loves justice and judgment. He actually loves justice and judgment. We live in a world which is full of injustice. Turn on the news, you'll see injustice and oppression. 
Uh, everywhere you go, you see injustice. You see the injustice in nations, the injustice in governments, the injustices. Injustice is all through the world. It's because the world has fallen and ruled by oppressive demonic spirits. And so the world living in sin is a terrible, unjust place. And so wherever you look in the world, you'll see and hear examples of injustice, and you shake your head at it, you think, that's terrible. Or if you experience injustice, you get really angry, and you say, that's not right. There's a great sense, have you noticed with kids, there's a great sense of justice in them? You give one strawberry too many, and you'll know whether that's in them or not. Immediately, those eagle eyes, that's not fair. Kids have a greatly developed sense of justice when they're quite young. And some people in their, in their personality have this great sense of justice, right and wrong. But it actually comes from the nature of God. Look what it says in Psalm 89, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. If you look at it in King James Version, it says, Justice and judgment are the habitations of your throne. And the words there is justice and judgment. So everything needs a foundation to uphold it. And so there are four foundations uphold the throne of God. Or putting it another way, God's kingdom is established on four key pillars. Here's what they are. The first one is justice. Second one is judgment. Third one is mercy. Fourth one is truth. So when you want to extend the kingdom of God in your personal life or in any part of your world, you've got to remember it's built on four foundations. It's built on justice, judgment, mercy, truth. So these are foundational to the kingdom of God. Not only that, it tells us in Hebrews 6, it says about the doctrines of Christ, the foundational doctrines of Christ. And it says we want to go on to maturity and we will go on to maturity if God permits us. So in other words, it's impossible for you to mature as a believer unless God permits you to mature. And He won't permit you to mature unless certain foundations are laid properly in your life. And those foundations are found in Hebrews 6. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, uh, and laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead. Now get this one, eternal judgments. So judgments and understanding about judgment is a foundation in the life of a believer. You can never mature if it's not properly laid in your life. So I can't teach all of that today, but I want to give you an insight to God being a judge and some aspects of what it means, how it would apply to our life. So this is foundational. It's not some new big revelation. This is actually quite foundational for a believer. And people don't like to hear terms like God is a judge or God judges unless it's in terms of accusing the church or accusing God in some way. But God's kingdom is clearly established on justice, what is right, judgment, seeing what is right and putting it right, and mercy, extending mercy to people, and on truth. So that's how God builds his kingdom. Now, let's have a look. So we see the kingdom is established. So when the Bible talks about justice, kingdom is established on justice, that word is the word sedek, means to be right or to be just or fear. And it comes also, uh, the word can be interpreted generosity and compassion to those who are poor. 
So one of the pillars of the kingdom of God is what is right, just, and showing generosity to people who are troubled or in, in, in uh, difficulties of some kind. That is a pillar of God's kingdom, to show generosity to people who are poor. Why? Because that's right in God's eyes. So when we help people, widows, orphans, people who are afflicted, when we are involved in social justice, we are doing what is right in the kingdom of God. Get the idea? So generosity to the poor is one of the foundations in the kingdom of God because it is what God calls justice. It is justice to do that. Second word there is judgment. The word judgment means uh, it's a word to deliver, to deliver someone out of a situation. So the, there's the book of Judges who delivered people out of oppression. It means to rule over. The judges ruled over Israel. And it also means to sit and to make a decision as a third party. So two people are in trouble and the third party sits, listens to both sides and makes a decision what is right and gives direction what to do and sees it takes place. So that's what it means when it says judge. It's not all about punishing. It's about seeing to the root of issues and making things right. That can include that people are punished or have consequences for their behavior. But in essence, it's looking right into the root of something and making a decision, this is what is right and this is what will happen. Get the idea? So now, this is what God's kingdom is built on. Now notice this in Jeremiah chapter 9. Look what the God says in Jeremiah. So we see, the kingdom is established on those four pillars and justice and judgment are key parts of that. Now look what it says in Jeremiah 9 and verse 24. It says, let him that glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. So if you're going to rejoice, don't rejoice in your giftings and your successes and be boasting of all kinds of things. If you want to boast in anything, boast in the Lord that you know him. And then it says that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, that's mercy, judgment, there it is, there's that word again, justice and, uh, and, uh, and judgment, and then righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight. So there it is again. So God delights in kindness or mercy. He delights in justice, and he delights in judgment, doing things that are right. Notice God delights in that. He loves it. It's, he is passionate about it. It pleases him when something is done right. When parents lead their families and they do it right and they discipline their children right, it pleases God. These things please God. When leadership leads well and leads with righteousness or leads in a right way, decisions are made which are right, this pleases God. Why? Because his kingdom is established. He loves what is right and he loves judgment. He loves these things because they bring what is right to people who need something done on their behalf. Uh, notice the, the next scripture, uh, uh, so, and that word delight means to bend towards, be pleased with, be jealous over, or attentive to. So God is absolutely pleased when we act rightly, when we do justice and judgment. Think about that. When you help someone, even if they don't respond to you, you help someone who's in need, it delights God. He loves it. In fact, in Matthew 5, 25, he divides the whole world up into those 
who do rightly or do justice and those who don't do it. And when they say, how do we do this to you? He said, when you did this to the poor, when you fed the poor, when you clothed those who were naked, when you visited those in prison, this is what is justice to me. This is right before me. You do it to them, you're doing it to me. So God is totally attentive to social justice, to things that are wrong being put right, to injustices being fixed up. He is very attentive to it. He delights in it. Ultimately, he will reward it as well. Interesting, isn't it? Pentecostal churches tend to minimize this aspect while proclaiming the need for a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, we do need a personal relationship with Jesus to address the root issue, but that does not mean we shouldn't deal with the injustices uh, done to the poor. The church has been the champion of hospitals, of schools, of uh, orphan work. Everywhere in the world, the church is the one who initiated and made these things happen. Why? Because this is in the kingdom of God. That's the nature of the kingdom of God. Church uh, has withdrawn and let governments do it, but this is the kingdom of God to do these things. So the church will have to move back out that way again. Have a look in Jeremiah 22. Jeremiah 22. Look at this one here. And uh, uh, verse uh, 16. And it says, He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then was it well. Was this not to know me, says the Lord? So you know what God says? To know me, if you say you know me, this is how it shows up in your life, you do kind acts or acts of compassion to the poor. Justice. You minister to the brokenhearted. You help those who are afflicted. You visit people in their distress. This is what he's saying. This is what it means to know God. You can't say The revelation you have of God is very little. If all it does is end you up with hands in the air worshipping and it doesn't flow out in kindness and mercy to people who are in desperate need. It's the very nature of God. If we encounter this God, he says, to know me means to do these things. So that's why Jesus said, we'll sort the church out, not on the basis of how much they prayed, but we'll sort it out on the basis of of whether there was an overflow of the river of my heart and kingdom to those who were in need. Quite challenging, isn't it? Quite challenging. This is what is justice and judgment. So when we're looking about judgment, don't just think about punishing. Think about this whole area of putting right what is wrong. And because God is a passionate lover and has the power, he has the ability to put right what is wrong. He can fix the stuff up. Now, that's a great revelation to have because it frees you from having to fix it all up. You can just now respond. You don't have to get angry. don't have to pay back. don't have to get vengeful on anyone. You can put it in God's hands and let him sort it out. You can just get on with your life and enjoy doing what he wants you to do instead of being screwed up with some injustice that you've had. Most people come into the church and messed up with some injustice. Come to the cross, the greatest injustice of all, where the innocent, the creator, was hung on a cross. So, so, so the Bible is very clear that God is concerned about injustice and oppression and poverty and these kinds of things. At Jesus' first coming, Jesus came, everyone thought he'd come as a king to put it all right. He came to deal with the root issue. So when he came the first time, he came to deal with the root of sin. 
to pay the penalty, lay his life down, demonstrate the aspect of loving kindness of God and the mercy of God over judgment. And so he died. Jesus died on the cross for us. And so we can be free of the power of sin, live like God intended us to live. But when he comes the second time, I'm sorry, it's not going to be so nice. He will come the second time to put things right. He'll come the second time because he's concerned about his people and how they've been treated over centuries. Don't mistake God's, uh, uh, God's uh, patience for his tolerance of things. The Lord is long-suffering, not willing any perish, but all come to repentance. So we think uh, because uh, judgment is not executed against evil work that God doesn't seem to care, and then it's all right. But it isn't all right. As we'll see in just a moment. Okay then, so uh, the Bible says in Genesis, it says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So we see that God has committed judgment into the hands of Jesus Christ. We see that judgment and justice go together. They're about doing right and dealing with injustice in the earth and putting it right. And so uh, we see that God will do it. He'll put it all right. Now that's a fantastic, hopeful thing, isn't it? eh? God will put it right. God will put it right. So putting right that counts, isn't it? Okay then. So uh, I want you to look with me in Revelation chapter 8. Then we'll just apply this into our life. What can we do? Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. We need to go to Revelations where we can see Jesus again as he's revealed in the book of Revelation. It's interesting in Isaiah 26 and uh, verse uh, 9 it says, When your righteous judgments are in the earth, all the inhabitants will learn righteousness. So... If 2,000 years of kindness didn't solve the world's problems, a little bit of stick might make a difference. So we have 2,000 years, two millennia of the kindness of God being shown. And God will continue to show kindness because that's his nature. Mercy is always greater than judgment. God's always looking for a way to get us right. Right before him and right living. When we look in the book of Revelation, we find, uh, we'll just look firstly in Revelation 19, just at the verse we were looking at uh, last week, in verse 11, I saw heaven opened and a white horse, and he that sat on him was faithful and true, in righteousness he judges and makes war. Verse 2, in, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her sexual sin, and has avenged on her the blood of all the servants shed by her. So we're not going into all the details of it. When Jesus comes, he will judge all systems in the earth, governmental or religious, that have persecuted and martyred his people. There are more martyrs in this century than in all the history of the earth. More martyrs. People are being martyred for their faith in India, in Pakistan, in countries all over the world. This is a day when the blood of the saints is being shed. And God hears that because the blood cries out. And he will do something about it. So let's have a look what he does. And of course, people don't always necessarily like this part of it. And I don't even all understand all of it. But let's just read in Revelation chapter 8 and read a few verses there. And then I want to get focus on just how we should respond in the light that Jesus is a judge. Now remember, John saw this. This hasn't happened yet. And what John saw, verse, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, uh, he opened the seventh seal, and he saw seals open, and he saw some bowls released. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. 
And another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. And notice the first thing you see is incense. Incense is the prayers of God's people. Now notice what happens when God's people pray. So it's, it's picturing that in the end time, there will be a revival of prayer in the church globally. The church will begin to rediscover the power of prayer and arise to pray. And some things are going to happen that the only parallel in history is in Egypt. And you can read that in the book of Exodus, where God literally uh, brought judgments on a nation so he could release his people and get them free into the promised land. So read Exodus again if you want to see what God's judgments look like. Try to put yourself in it and imagine the fear of it all, the horror of it all. But the Bible is very clear in Exodus 12, 12, God was judging the gods of Egypt. He was dealing with the idolatry, spiritism of Egypt and the way it manifested in the culture. He was addressing the spirit world to tear down and humiliate it and show his sovereign power. And all who responded to him, whether Egyptian or Israeli, who responded in belief, were saved. He didn't make any distinction. On the way through the judgments, he distinguished between his people and the Egyptian people, and that some of the curses that came on the Egyptian people never came on God's people at all. They were in the middle of it and untouched by it. Now that's a great thing and hope for us. You can be in the middle of something and untouched by it. And in the midst of all those judgments, God still extended mercy that all who believed were saved. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So no matter what it tells us here is going to happen in the end times, there's a couple of things you can be sure of if we look at the, at the, at the, uh, the, the, the first situation in Exodus. One is, God's people will have his hand on them if you're walking with them. And secondly, that there'll be opportunity for all people to be saved in the midst of these difficulties. And you've noticed how tragedy has a way of softening hearts and people tend to turn to the Lord. It's unfortunate, but that's the hardness of man's pride. So you notice then it says the trumpet sounded in the Bible. Whenever a trumpet sounded, it uh, spoke of a message. It was a prophetic message. Uh, and it, uh, the trumpet was used for a number of things. One was used for declare war. Another thing was used to announce a king's enthronement. So it says the trumpets began to sound one after the other, seven trumpets. And each trumpet as it sounded, something happened in the earth. Now have a look at this. Now this hasn't yet happened, and it will happen, and it is progressive, and it gets more serious as it goes on, but it ends in great victory. That's the best part of it. Look at it. It says, and he said, uh, he said the angel took the censer, filled it with fire, threw it on the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Wow. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now, if you read through this, in verse 7, the first angel sounded, hail and fire followed, mingle with blood. Sounds like Egypt and the Exodus, doesn't it? And they, were th and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. So what he's saying is, globally, an impact and judgment on the vegetation and food supply. Uh, look at the next one, second trumpet. It says, the second angel sounded, something like a great mountain burning with fire thrown in the sea. third of the sea became blood. third of the living creatures in the sea died. third of the ships were destroyed. So a judgment on trade and on food supplies. Those, these are all natural things. Then the third trumpet, third trumpet sounded, great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. It was wormwood and a third of the waters became wormwood or bitter. Many died from the water, it was made bitter. 
water supplies. Fourth trumpet, the heavens are struck. Third tri- uh, uh, fourth angel sounded, third of the sun was struck, third of the moon, third of the stars, third of them were darkened, third of the day didn't shine, and likewise the night. So you notice there, cosmic disturbances, perhaps meteor showers, who knows what it all is. I don't understand what it all means, but I know when it happens, you know that's what that meant. <laughs> that's how prophecies seem to be. Now, you notice this is not hidden in the corner. This is global. This is on TV all over the world. This is everywhere. This is, this is more impacting than all the disaster movies you've ever seen. This is the real thing. The others were imagining what could be. So you've seen the last few years these disaster movies and there's been increase in temperature of the earth, there's been the sun blocked out, there's been uh, cosmic showers, there's been all kinds of uh, dilemmas come to the earth. And it's all Hollywood imagining it. But often Hollywood's imagination uh, is not so far off, sometimes reality eventually becomes reality. Anyway, this is what the Bible says will happen. And you think, well, that's enough, we've had enough, we'll all repent then. No, 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 there's a bit more to come. Two more. And uh, it says, the fifth angel sounded, I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. The hymn was given the keys to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. Sun and air were darkened because of the smoke. And out of the smoke, locusts to them was given power as scorpions of the earth to have power. And they tormented people, so they wanted to die. So what's, here's, the, here's the fifth thing that'll happen. That'll be an unleashing of demonic activity in the earth like you've never seen before. Church doesn't even, Harper doesn't even believe in deliverance. Read Revelation, they're all going to be released in a massive way at the end times. Massive way at the end times. You think, well, and people seek to die, it says. In other words, suicide and, and distress and hopelessness, despair will abound in the earth. Now, these are the things God is bringing on the earth before He comes and sets everything right, overthrows all governments, and establishes His own government in the earth. Amazing to see these things. Now what else it says? It said in verse 11, there's a, then it said um, there's another thing happened there. And it says, verse 13, the sixth angel sounded, heard a voice in the four horns of the golden altar. That's the incense altar. This is, re- this is released because of intercessory prayer. Saying that to the sixth angel had the trumpet, released the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. And they were released. They were prepared for that hour and day and month and year and were released to kill a third of mankind. Now that's pretty serious, isn't it? Perhaps you have another Bible. Perhaps you don't like to read this. The Bible says, blessed is those who read the book and do the things in the book. Now, so you as a believer, you can look at the things happening in the earth and say, hey, you ain't seen nothing yet. You want to see what God's about to do. Get on side with him. This is going to be something else. It's not going to be hidden. Get an idea. So God is a righteous judge. And then finally, now what you're seeing here is God is bringing judgment on the gods of this earth to prepare for what will come which is the establishing of his kingdom. So when the seventh trumpet sounds, and it tells us there in chapter 11 and verse 15, the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. He shall reign forever. So there is a mighty end time demonstration of the power of God and a manifestation of Christ himself with his people that will start to put right everything put wrong. All governments will be changed. Unjust systems will be altered. Financial systems will be altered. Governmental systems, educational systems. Over the period of a thousand years, everything will be altered to make it right. That's pretty good, isn't it? That sounds very impressive. Very impressed. I think, well, that's a very powerful God. And God will do it. Why will he do it? Because he will be tired of seeing his people martyred 
generation after generation, and time will have come to actually demonstrate he's not just merciful, he's also righteous. This is fantastic. So we see then that God is merciful, he is truthful, we see he is, he is just, and he, he judges, he sorts things out. So what do I need to do if that's the Jesus that I have never met, and that's the Jesus of the Bible? Because he's the one who will come to do this. It's him coming to do this. So the Jesus that we like to see in the manger is also the Jesus who subdued the elements around him, overcame the storms. He's also the Jesus who died on the cross and rose again. He's also the Jesus who will come with great love, great power, and he will put things right. That's a great thing for us to be aware of. Great hope. People look around the world, they get worried about the Antichrist, worried about this and that. Oh, the kingdom of our God is about to come, and we're about to be a part of that. So what do I need to do? How could I respond? What can I do? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's a whole heap of things you can do. Let me give you a few of them that you could do that would help you. The number one is to, I want to be on Jesus' side to be the first place to start. Be a great thing to receive Jesus Christ. Open your heart and life to receive Him and to acknowledge He died on the cross for your sins. You don't have to experience judgment for sin. You can actually be free of all of that and have a new life God intended by receiving Jesus Christ. John 3, 16 through to 18, God so loved you, He gave His only Son, that He died on the cross. You'd not, you'd, you'd live and not perish but have eternal life. God did not come. Jesus did not come to condemn the world but the world through him might be saved. He said, I didn't come to judge, I came to save. The second time around, he came to judge. So we're in the time when we can get saved easily. There's a good day to get saved. What a, what a decision to make right now, if you don't know Jesus, to make a decision to put your life right before the one who loves you and gave his life for you. Secondly, here's the second thing we need to do. You need to take responsibility for your life and stop thinking like a victim and blaming everyone else for why you are where you are. Why do I need to do that? Very simply this, because in Romans 14, it tells us in verse four, chapter 14, verse 10 to 12, every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give account of our life. Everyone. Fortunately, uh, I won't have to give account for you. I'll be giving account for me. You'll be giving account for you. You'll be standing alone. Your mates won't be around you. You'll be there all on your own. And Jesus will be inquiring of your life. Now, if you're a believer, if you're a non-believer, the issue for you is then, what did you do with Jesus? Did you receive him or reject him? That's the core issue. If you rejected him, then there is nothing more for you. There's actually eternity of suffering. But if you're a believer, that's not the issue for you. The issue, the question Jesus will be doing is this. When he judges you, he is not judging you to condemn. He's saying, I want to look at your life and see how you lived your life, and is there anything that would be fair and right to reward and acknowledge in how you've served me? I really have got rewards. You've been doing your internship, so we're evaluating your internship for eternity. You've now just graduated, and so how have you been running your life? What have you been doing? What kind of love has been in your life? What did you do about your character? What did you do about the people I brought into your life? In what ways did you represent me well so people saw me? I am looking to reward you. I am so looking forward to this. Now, can we talk over your life? And he zips the button, and the whole video screen plays, and there it is. Everything, what you did and why you did it. And then you... <laughs> 
So the first thing is take responsibility. Stop blaming anyone else. Don't blame the past. Now that we have a tendency to blame others because we feel treated unjustly. You've got to realize God sorts out the justice thing. You just do what he wants you to do. Stop blaming, take ownership, and say, my life is mine. I'm with the Lord. Now I'm going to do all that I need to do. I'm going to own my life. I'm not going to blame anyone ever again for anything. It's about me being responsible for my choices. Isn't that good? That's good. Tell somebody you need to hear that. Stop being a victim. So you know there's heaps of people around like that. Okay, here's the third thing you can do. Here's the third thing we can do. Third thing we can do would become accountable. Oh, I don't like that word. But there it is. We need to become accountable. We need to become accountable to someone else with our life. That's why we have small groups. So you have a group within which you can grow and deepen your Christian life. Why do we need to be accountable? Because you grow better when you are sharing what God is speaking to you in front of others who can then call you to, to come and to hold you to what you've actually said you're going to do. Everyone needs that. You all grow, we all grow best when someone else speaks into our life. And the Bible in Hebrews 13, 17 says to submit or to yield or to uh, yield under those who have leadership over your life, whoever that is, uh, so that you can let them speak into your life and help you adjust and grow and mature. Many Christians can't stand that. In fact, the moment you try and speak into their life about something that's immature or something that's lacking, they react. So here's the question. Do you have anyone in your life that gives you feedback honestly out of love for you and concern for you? And secondly, how do you respond to that? So uh, you have to be in a group. You know, two people form a group. You get three, four, this, starting to get a bigger group. Now you get more people in a group. That's a place you can grow. I observe that people in groups grow better. They grow better because they're interacting and sharing life, and there's a, an accountability comes. It's not a legal thing. No one can hold you accountable easily. You actually have to decide, I want to share what God is doing in my life with you so I, you'll help keep me on course if I look like I'm going off it. Nothing like at the end of a week, you know, someone in your small group saying, how'd your prayer life go this week? You say, I'm going to pray every day, but you lasted two days. And someone asks you, how did you get on? And you say, well, I didn't do good this week. So why don't we pray with you and stand with you and believe? And we'll believe that God will help you just to grow to three days next week and then just make it more steady. See, it's that kind of encouragement and nurture. Uh, that's part of the kingdom. And it's just part of the whole nature of the kingdom. So here's, a, here's the next thing we could do. That's a good one. So I got real quiet. No one's getting excited about this. I'm excited about it, but no one else. <laughs> here's, here's, here's another thing we could do. Don't judge by appearances. Learn to listen to God and ask a lot of questions. Don't judge by appearances. Because if we judge, we'll be judged. And so our tendency is, uh, as believers, is we tend to judge by what we see. We tend to quickly come to conclusions and assumptions without actually asking the questions and listening. Jesus made a couple of interesting statements, and uh, he said in John 5 and verse 30 and John 7, 24, he made two interesting statements. He said, I judge, my judgment's not my own, it's what I hear from the Father. He said, I don't judge according to appearances what looks to be, but, but what I see and hear. And so of all the, mis uh, the mistakes I've made in assessing everything, most of it's been about judging my appearances. And it's the most chronic thing. I, I think about the difficulties we've had in communication in our marriage. They could all be boiled down to this one problem, making assumptions. Well, I thought you meant, or I thought, I thought, I thought. You never stop to inquire. You just come to a conclusion, which is a judgment. 
So one of the things that would help our lives is to not jump to conclusions about anything, ask questions until you found out, and just inquire, and listen to God, because things aren't always what they seem to be. And what looks bad can sometimes look, be quite different in the light of God's presence on it. Whoever's in their own course seems right. So when someone comes to you and tells you some, how badly they've been treated by a leader, how badly they've been treated by this one, that one, remember, they seem right because they're the first to speak up. Why do you hear the other side of the story? Oh, different. See, neighbor comes and it's a different story when you hear the other side of the story. It's a huge discipline not to judge by what you first hear, but to keep calm and wait till you've heard the whole story and help people do what God wants them to do. That's learning judgment. Oh, this is too, too deep, isn't it, really? Too deep. But here's, here's a simpler one. Here's the, I'll give you the last couple. <laughs> here's the last couple that you could do, and then we'll finish. Here it goes. Generosity to the poor. That's got to be a response to Jesus being just and being a judge. Is that our heart, we learn he is generous and he loves generosity to people who are in need. He loves it. He, he actually demonstrated, he came to earth to people who hated him, were rebellion against him, known there's no one saved, and he came to all of them and he showed generosity in extrema. That is the name. Why? Because he's a just God. That's what justice looks like. But you say, that's not fair. That doesn't seem right to me. No, it isn't. But it's what God is like. He will give to people when they don't deserve it. And he calls that just. You think, oh, this is hard for me to handle on. No, just be generous and be kind. And when you see people in need, show generosity before anything else. Show kindness to them before anything else. And you'll extend the kingdom of God. They will see what the kingdom of God is truly like. Isn't that amazing? And those great keys to learn. Great and simple keys to learn. And here's the last one that you could and here's the last one you can remember is this. Whatever you do, serve the Lord perfectly and do it well. Why? Why would I need to do that? Why can't I just come and cruise? Why guess can't I come and cruise? You know, that, 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 that suits me more. You know, it suits my lifestyle, you know. I come if I like and don't come if I don't like and, and I'll do if I want and don't do if I don't want and give if I want and, and I'll, if I go on the internet and if I agree with them and disagree here and getting into all of that kind of, why, 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 why? It's very simple. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it fully, passionately, from the heart to the Lord. Why? Because you know something. What do you know? From the Lord, you will receive reward inheritance that is eternal now this is one this is the whole doctrine of eternal judgments it's not about just doing things right it's about God's justice in rewarding his saints now God has got every one of us here on an apprenticeship for an eternity so how are you conducting your apprenticeship who is speaking into you to help you with that how are you treating people what are you harboring in your heart and are you serving passionately? Why? Because there is a day when I'll cross that line. If he hasn't come before then, I'll cross it into well done. Enter into the reward I prepared for you. Because I'll leave everything else behind. No matter how fancy it is, you leave it all behind. But the things you've sown in the kingdom, oh, you carry on into eternity for reward that is everlasting. That's why we're motivated. That's why 
and we serve Him passionately and fervently. That's why, because He loves us, He's done right by us, and we'll do right by Him and live for Him passionately in a love relationship with the bridegroom lover, with surrender to a king who has a kingdom, and knowing there's a day of reward, and living in respect and reverence for that God. That's what gives you the balance of the end time life to live. It's seeing each of those aspects of him and aligning your life around each aspect. Not just one aspect, but all the aspects. Loved! I'm in a kingdom with a king and I have a role to play. And he will judge righteously. I will give account for my life. And then he's merciful. So you live in the revelation of all three and it produces something deep in your life and substantial in your life that helps you build a great life with God. We say amen? Come on, let's just close our eyes right now. I wonder, is there any person here and you haven't yet become a Christian, haven't yet received Jesus Christ? You haven't in your heart made a decision to receive the Lord. You're, you're living your life without God, separated from the wonderful life He has prepared for you, separated not even knowing what your destiny is, where you're going. That could change in a moment for every person who received Jesus and believed on Him. He gave power to become a child of God. Is there any person here right at that place? I want to become a Christian. Would you raise your hand right now? Just raise your hand right now and say, Oh, God is speaking to me. God is touching my heart. I want to come to Christ today. I want to come to Christ. Would you raise your hand right now? Lift your hand. Lift your hand. Just lift your hand. I want to receive Jesus today. Who here today is at that place? Make that decision. Perhaps you've walked a long way from God and there's no reality of Him in your life. Things have come around you and sunk you a bit, but today you say, Jesus, I want to come back to you. I've been touched by what you've spoken into my heart today. Today, I want to respond to you. If that's you, raise your hand just right now. Come back to the Lord. I want to walk with Him. I want to walk humbly with God. Perhaps to some of us today, as I just shared how we respond to that revelation, perhaps God was speaking to you just about one aspect of it. If God spoken to your heart about one aspect, you said, man, I just need to allow the Spirit of God to build that in my life. I'm going to begin to focus on building that part of my life. Is it generosity? Is it withholding judgment and need to listen and inquire? Whatever it is, you say, God, help me to build this dimension in my life. Help me to get a hold of this and begin to grow so I become Christ-like. You had God speak to you in an area of your life today. I want you to say, raise your hand. Say, God's speaking to me today. God bless, God bless, God bless. Many hands going up. Father, I just thank you for each person that's responded today. Father, I pray revelation of Jesus as bridegroom, king, and judge. I pray revelation into the hearts and a change in lives. Father, we love you and honor you. We're excited about Jesus. We're excited about his church. We're excited about the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Everyone said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap and just honor him. Thank you, Lord. If you have need for prayer for some area, please feel free to come forward. As we finish with our last song, God bless you. Have a fantastic week this week. Start to meditate in those things. Start to apply them in your life. Begin to see how it changes you.
just listening to people instead of judging. It's amazing what it'll do. God bless you. Have a fantastic day.